Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Not a lot of GPP talk today um, with <laughs> Seb here. We're going to talk history of weightlifting. We're going to talk current affairs in weightlifting. We just wrapped up. Um, by the time this recording goes live, we'll be about three weeks removed from a hell of a week of weightlifting, Pan American Championships, European mm -hmm. Championships, Asian Championships. And now here we sit four months out from the Tokyo 2021 games. Are they still calling it the 2020 games? It's a 2020 because they got, you know, all the trademarking and that sort of stuff. So it is 2020. Yeah. OK, perfect. Well, my guest who kindly corrected me here is <laughs> Seb Ostrovich, the voice, the face of Weightlifting House. Um, Seb, how are you today? I'm not bad. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, as I mentioned before we hit record, I've been out of weightlifting for about three days now. So this is like the first thing I've done since those uh, big championships. So yeah, I'm excited. Welcome back. We're glad to lure you back <laughs> <Thank> in. You. <laughs> um, it's been a busy couple weeks for you mm -hmm. or a busy last week or so for you. Um, recording voiceovers, um, live commentary on all of those. Uh, what were some of the highlights there for you? What was I'm, I'm sure it was a really fun week for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the highlights was realizing that there's a an appetite for live commentary. You know, it's one of the things I'd never tried before. I've done voice over, you know, recorded after the fact and that side of things. But I'd never realized that I could just get guests on and we could just sit and chat and watch weightlifting and people would tune in. And then when you do that, then creating content out of that becomes very easy because you just, you know, you put the you put the lifting video in and then you cut it out and you've got content. So that was actually really exciting, just realizing that there's an appetite for the commentary. And then, of course, I mean, just so many world records, so many all-time world records, new world records in the current weight categories. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic month. And, and, you know, we've had like a year off weightlifting, basically, where there have been no competitions. So this was such a spectacular return to, to competition. With where you are in the world, your uh, gyms have just opened back up. Have you mm -hmm. been back? Have you trained at all since the, the long actually. layoff? Yeah, I have. So uh, fortunately, right outside where I am, I've got a couple of gyms. So I've got memberships to those. But then also we're in the process of we've just um, basically started renting these new premises, upstairs, office space, media, that kind of thing. And then downstairs uh, equipment that we sell. And then we're building a gym there as like a perk of being someone who works at Weightlifting House. And there aren't many of us now, but we've still got a few people and we're going to bring more people in. So that's really cool. So it means that when I actually go to work, I can then train and, you know, train in the morning, train at the PM. Uh, so that's going to be really awesome just to have a have a gym right where we're all working. So gym owner or at least gym co-owner added to the resume, a resume that already includes author of the greatest <laughs> weightlifters of all time, the Glenn Pendley method, host of the only weightlifting news show in the world. I have to say, I love that. It makes me laugh every single time when you say that, <laughs> just the way you say it. Um, you travel all over the world to the biggest weightlifting meets in the world. I mean, what else is there on that resume of yours outside of outside of those things? Oh, God. I mean, I'm just a I've always sort of considered myself as just being the biggest fan of weightlifting. And then out of that, I found a way to sort of market, you know, that it what, what that is, what being a fan is. I somehow managed to gain access to, you know, speaking with the people that we all want to learn from. I mean, it's it's kind of like what you do. You know, and I started doing it and, you know, through the podcast, I started doing it through the podcast and other various means. And I feel like I'm just sort of the I just get to be the lucky person who asks all the questions that we want to know and put all the information out there. Um, I guess weightlifter would be the only other thing that I'd add to it. I mean, I've had a couple of years where it's been really poor quality training. Um, but for a good six year stint, all I did was train every single day. Uh, before Weightlifting House sort of grew and took over a little bit. In Seb's younger years, what were <laughs> what were what were some of your passions then before you really found the world of weightlifting? But by the way, how old are you? I'm 28. Okay. Yeah, just turned. 
Um, okay. So I have always loved sports. You know, I was in all of the teams growing up. I was in the cross country team, believe it or not, uh, basketball team, rugby teams, athletics teams, cricket, tennis, all of these sorts of things. Uh, and then kind of realized that I actually far, my love for the training far exceeded my love for the competition. And I loved realizing that I could go into a gym and exercise and I could then come out and actually be better than the people who were previously better than me. And then the competition side of things, I just never loved quite as much. I just lo- it was a training. So I remember, you know, being, uh, I remember being like 10 years old and smuggling dumbbells into my bag to go over to a friend's house for a sleepover and getting them out and just wanting to lift with the dumbbells. And then when I was 14, I'd get to my school at like 7.30 a.m., just so like before everyone else so that I could sneak into the gym because you're not allowed into the gym unless you're 16 and I'd sneak in and I would train every single morning you know doing dumb stuff just bicep curls and machine bench press sort of, of thing but you got to start somewhere of course uh, so I just you know I've always loved all different sports then eventually got into rowing quit that because it sucks but it's you know it's a great sport but it sucks um, and then found CrossFit realized that people got to work out like the thing that I loved they just got to do all the time which was the training. And then very quickly, once I started CrossFit, like within the first month, uh, I realized I just wanted to do weightlifting. So got into weightlifting. Was that transition to weightlifting something for easy? Was that easy for you since you had such a strong sporting background and a movement background? Or was that first snatch just an absolute abomination? Yeah, well, I remember it was an abomination, but it wasn't (laughs) awful. Like I think, you know, I couldn't back squat 100 kilos, but I, I snatched 60 and I cleaned 80. So like efficiency. my efficiency was already like pretty much, I probably never, be, I'm probably less efficient now than I was on day one, to be honest, <laughs> just because I got stronger. But I mean, but there's also the whole thing of, you know, are you really efficient or are you actually just really weak? And probably I was just really, really weak, um, but had decent awareness of what I was doing with my body. So I could clean the snatch okay from the start. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it was too difficult a transition, honestly. The, the main thing is just, you know, coming from a sport like rowing where it's so well it's the same movement over and over again but when you're in a boat you're actually leaning out over one side of the boat constantly so half of your body gets significantly stronger and more flexible than the other so then bring that into a sport like weightlifting where everything again is just so in this frontal plane nothing really changes that caused a lot of issues that have all led to the fact that i've had a crappy two years of training but um other than that I think all of these different sports probably lent themselves along the line all the way to weightlifting. Oh yeah. I, I always, when I hear someone with a very diverse sporting background like that, I think of someone like someone like the stories of like early Ilya Ilian of him, right. you know, dabbling in all those different sports. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, Seb, I don't want to break this to you in like a negative way. I don't know if you're going to reach the level that Ilya was at. I, we, no. we, we won't say for sure that you won't get there. <laughs> There's a possibility, but I, I, I don't see a 246 in your future. <laughs> I feel like when, I think when he was 15, he, he'd already lifted more than I have ever lifted. So, <laughs> that um, sounds about right. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to suddenly happen now at 28 years of age. It's going to catch me up to hit 247, but you never know. <laughs> you never yeah, know. seriously. You, you never know. Don't give up. And <laughs> as I was scrolling around on the weightlifting house website, I saw a picture of Ilya reading the greatest weightlifters of all time. Yeah. Did he immediately flip to his own page or was he... He, I brought, well, no, I, I was really nervous because, you know, growing up in weightlifting, he is like the man. Yes. And, you know, I was so interested in him. I'd written, you know, this book and he, you know, he was a, a portion of that book is his career. So um, when I realized he was in the room next to me, I just grabbed the book and went into the training hall where he was and just sat there just like trying to pluck up the courage to go over to him. Then I opened the book at his page so that I could walk over and show him, you know, like you sort of want to approach with some kind of offering of like, yeah. I'm not just here to get a photo. Look at this thing that I did. And so he got really excited about it, um, read through it, took some photos. Then all of the guys around him who are like, you know, they're kind of aware of when there's going to be good opportunity for media. So they suddenly all started taking photos of us together, reading through this book. Uh, and then he signed mine. And then the craziest thing was him asking me to sign his copy of the book, which is very strange. Um, and then we've since we've actually become friends, which is nice, but that was the first time I met him. Uh, and he, yeah, come to think of it, I'm not sure he did scroll through any of the rest of the book and look at other people. No, no, he did. He did. He, he looked through and he saw some of the Kazakh lifters, which made him happy. Um, but yeah, that's that one. 
you you paint yourself as someone who's quite bashful, but you've got these stories of signing Illy Alien's copy of the book, riding in a car with <laughs> Lee, or almost riding in a car with Lee Wen Wen, yeah. being face to face, getting footage with Lasha at some of his yeah. greatest training sessions. You seem to have the cojones, the chuspa, to get yourself in in some some very yeah. very interesting situations. Yeah, I I'm just a big believer in. I don't know, just doing absolutely everything you can to get into the situations that you want to, like just clawing, you know, to get to get in these situations. Uh, and so whether that's, you know, reaching out to um, Lu Zhaozhen's team and just promising you'll do basically anything to get an interview and then, you know, getting smuggled into his hotel or, um, you know, I, I've never told anyone this and I certainly won't ever say who it was or what the country was. But like, I remember at one point getting a phone call and just being threatened by an Eastern European uh, president of a, one of the countries and just basically being told no one will believe this is happening. You can't record it, so you can't prove it. But basically threatening me with some of the things that I was <laughs> posting online. <laughs> and I think you sort of have to put you in these, you have to put yourself in these situations to get good content sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah. but at the same time, the, the more you do, the more these things just get thrown at you. So it, it's not always like you're orchestrating everything from scratch. Yeah. I mean, speaking of greatest weightlifters of all time, are we going to get a second edition? What's what's the time course there? Are we are we yes. close? I don't want to throw any spoilers out there, but <laughs> divulge whatever you feel you can divulge. Um, so there has to be a volume two, which is the women's side. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that has to be done. And I, I wanted to do that instantly. And then it was one of those things where I thought, OK, well, the next three months are going to be really busy. So I'll just get through those three months and then I'll spend time in it. Because when you do something like writing, it really is you know, you've got to you've got to get everything, all distractions out, sit, you know, with a blank piece of paper and just work for four hours and not be distracted by anything. It's really difficult to do. And constantly new things are happening. And I always thought I'd just find some time. And right now I'm at a point where it's like so much is happening. The idea of just removing myself from weightlifting house for three months to write this book is difficult, you know. So I've we've done all the research. I've got like a list of literally every performance by every international female weightlifter ever ranked by any metric you want basically so all of the data is there uh we just need to go through and actually write it and it's also difficult because so many of the women in the top 50 are chinese weightlifters and there is no information anywhere about them like literally none so we've had you know we've written to the chinese embassy and we've said you know this will be good this will look good if we can write this. Can you help provide us with information? They don't get back to you. So like, it's not an easy, it's a really difficult book to write. Um, I have done a, like an updated, I've made all the edits for an updated version of the men's because that's just, you know, a few world records change. The numbers shift a little bit. So we should probably just, you know, do a second edition of that one um, because Lash is now obviously in the top 10, whereas previously he was like number 30 or something. So that's got to change. Uh, but at some point we will do the women's and it, and it might just be that I write like the skeleton version of it and then we get someone to, you know, come and actually write it. Um, but we certainly have to do a, a volume two for the women at some point because they certainly deserve it with how much more. I mean, they're progressing so much faster than the men at the moment. It sort of feels like we really should have done theirs before the men's in some ways. <laughs> So I anticipate that a personal favorite lifter of of my own, Miss um, Kuo Sung Chung, is going to mm -hmm. be at least in contention to appear in yes. that women's book somewhere with kind of her decorated record. Mm -hmm. And she, especially with your one of your most recent Instagram posts, has mm -hmm. been a point of serious contention yeah. on that press out rule. And I think it's kind of fresh on everyone's mind, especially with with Yang Ji as well. And that press out that they called yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Um, so. I think that I've seen you kind of ride the fence of like there's pros, there's cons to eliminating that rule. What do you see as those pros to eliminating the rule? What do you see as possible cons of eliminating the rule? Um, well, first of all, I just want to credit you on that transition. That was fantastic. Just how That's you, how you I do. That's seamlessly went. Seb, 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 they pay me the big bucks for a reason <laughs> over here. <laughs> Oh, that was really I was really impressed with that. When he when he pulled in the course of journal, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then suddenly the press. And then it just through. ooh, smoothly goes right to it. Yeah. So, I'm on my a -game. <laughs> um, so I think I think the main thing is you 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 have to think about why the press out was there in the first place as a rule. And really it goes back to the fact that there used to be three lifts, you know, the snatch, the clean and press, and the clean and jerk. 
And so you have to create rules in order to separate the cleaner press from the cleaner jerk. And so something like saying, well, you just can't press out on the jerk is an easy way to separate those two lifts. And then obviously the cleaner press got removed from the sport. And thank goodness, because I would have been awful at that. Uh, and, you know, and we're still left with the layover of having that rule that separated it from the cleaner press. Um, so I don't think we need the press out rule personally. Um, it seems like it's the last bit of subjective um, subjectiveness. Is that the word? Probably, uh, you know, in the sport for a sport that's so focused on numbers and just precision and you know there's nothing left to doubt it's just a purely numbers case uh, numbers based sport to then have that where someone can hit a lift and they get given a three white lights when they really shouldn't have based on the rule or someone does a lift that looks pretty good and they get reds or something like that it just seems totally unfair and it's it's the one final thing that i think is holding the sport back from being well, it's not the last thing because the sport is incredibly unfair to begin with, but it's, it's one of the few last things that's keeping the sport somewhat uh, unfair, I would say. I also I also think that it it lends to making the sport a little bit spectator unfriendly and that a lot of spectators of the sport don't understand the press out rule. So when they see a no lift for something like that, it's it it's it's kind of like somewhat of a turn off for them. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I think that people are worried that the aesthetics of the sport would be lost. But the truth is, I mean, it's not like... It, the fact remains that the most efficient way to put a bar overhead is by locking it out. So it's not like people are going to start now training to press lifts out or anything. It's just that if someone has done all the work and they get the bar there and there's a little wobble in the elbows, saying that that doesn't count just seems ridiculous. But we're not going to suddenly start seeing the anthropometry of weightlifters shifting towards you know, people with enormous triceps and, you know, very short arms or anything like that. It's just going to stay how it is. So I don't think people need to worry about that so much. Uh, and you're right, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Like so many times people say, why was that a no lift? And, and the problem is you also see a lot of people say, oh, it's not, we should keep the rule. We should just educate the judges better. I don't think people realize how much training they go through and how much they've got, you know, like, how many sessions they've refereed and how many courses they've done just to get to where they are. And there's still going to be this certain level of what well, I think it was and I don't think it was. Uh, and I don't think you can train that out of people unless it's literally there is no wobble at all, in which case basically everyone's going to get red lighted because not everyone has a hyperextended elbow. So it seems like, you know, it's just it's holding the sport back ever so slightly. And now they've added these levels of subjectivity where, okay, there's the jury review and then mm -hmm. there's the coach's card that they can pull. And it's just mm -hmm. like, it slows the meat down so yeah. much. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've got to think for the, the athletes in the back who they're timing their warmups and they have a rough idea that it's going to be one minute per lift, maybe two minutes sometimes. And then suddenly there's like a 10 minute interlude where they're trying to work out whether it was or wasn't a press out. And it's like, they got it overhead. Just give them the lift and yeah. let's move on. You know, and things are and all of a sudden things are moving so slow that Keanu mm -hmm. is back there fighting people because he's right, so yeah, mad because yeah. he wants to go out to the platform. He's throwing exactly. stuff. He's just having a brawl at the back. Salim is <laughs> yelling at the judges. And it's just like, I thought you were tired. Why are you even still here? You know, it's just getting in the way of the sport. <laughs> uh, so, so when you look, especially when go you've ahead. got someone like Bo Sing Chun and it's like, she's such an amazing lifter. And I want that 110 to just be an undisputed world record. Yes. But it's always going to be disputed because based on the rules, it is a no lift, but they gave it to it. Like it's a press out. And so if she's getting given that to set world records, but someone does less than that and they get a no lift and that means they no longer get a medal. Like that is so ridiculous. You know, it's yeah. so, so stupid. <clears throat> yeah. When you look at the sport as a whole, are there other rules that you also kind of feel that same, maybe not to the same degree, but you feel the same way about some things that you would possibly change? Hmm. I don't, I've never really thought about this, but I don't know what the rule about. So there's a rule where if you catch a clean in the bottom of a clean and you readjust the bath, I think it's called like onto the meat of the shoulder. It's like got this really weird wording. Basically you readjust it from down here up onto there and then stand up. That's a no lift. And I don't know why that is. And 
Maybe it's an injury prevention thing. Like, you know, if your elbow touches your knee, that's a no lift. That makes sense because that causes injury. People, you know, hurt their wrists by doing that. But I don't know what the point of the not being allowed to readjust in the bottom of a clean is. That's an odd one. So I, I don't think there are many rules that are wrong, but I think there are lots of different ways that the IWF should change the sport, at least in the broadcasting sense, to make it appeal to people. Because it's just, you know, I've used this metaphor a few times now, and I don't know if it really holds its own under scrutiny, honestly, but um, this idea that like you're only seeing them coming onto the platform and you're missing everything before that. And it's like watching, a, what do you watch in America? Like, uh, I don't know, what do you guys watch? NFL. It's like watching an NFL game, but the camera is only in like the final 10 yards of each side. Okay. And you miss everything. So like you don't know what's happening. And then suddenly someone runs through the finish line and scores, gets a touchdown. But you're missing everything that happens in the middle of the game. And in weightlifting, it's almost like you're missing what is so interesting, which is, did Kianush actually just jump from 120 to 170? Or is that a rumor? Yeah, he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> With straps as well, I think. And uh, or like, you know, was there a bit of a battle? You know, were the weightlifters eyeing each other up? You know, um, is Gadelli still on the bar, even though she's a youngs at 160? Like all of these sorts of things. We miss so much of the context of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, not least, you know, the excitement of what the coaches are doing, but that's not mentioned, and it's not it's not put into a easily digestible way for the for the consumers essentially to understand it. But that stuff should be turned into part of the drama. It's like you know, yeah. oh my word, Spencer Arnold's sprinting over to get a change in weight, you know, but we never know that that's gonna, that that's happening or anything. Um, so I think they should do a lot to change that side of things. That's you, Seb. That's where the IWF hires you. No, they won't. The, the IWF doesn't know I exist. The IWF doesn't know anyone exists. I really don't think, you know, if I think you spoke to the people at the top of the sport and you said, who are the major players in media? I think they would know Hook Grip and ATG because they've done deals with them before in past years to provide them with media. But other than that, I don't think they know what their Instagrams are like or their YouTube channels. I don't think they know who Weightlifting House. They wouldn't know who like Zach Talender was, even though like, you know, he doesn't do media for the sport, but he's like a famous person in the sport. But they, I don't think they know who any of us are, to be honest. Yeah, Zach is a good Zach is a good one, because I think that he posted a video kind of like theorizing about a weightlifting meet where essentially a lot of the unpleasant rules that people object to are peeled back. The press out rule mm-hmm. is removed. You're not limited to three attempts. So yeah, I like what, that. What myself and my business partners have done is July 3rd, we're hosting what we're calling the Max Out or Blackout Classic, where we're peeling back all of those rules. Peel out or uh, press outs are not um, a, a no lift. You can take as many lifts as you want. If That's you miss a lift, yeah. if you miss a lift, you get three more attempts on a one minute clock to try yeah, again. I love that. Yeah, I've thought about that. So and in the kick, so we kind of I, I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with like the WWE, like like professional wrestling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way that I see it is it's this perfect merger between the theatrics of WWE yeah. and all that is beautiful between about weightlifting. Mm. So we're offering cash prizes. We're hanging those cash prizes from briefcases from the ceiling where the athletes will have to climb ladders to go and get their cash prize upon really? winning. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I'm dead serious, Seb. I'm not I kidding. I thought it was like a vertical jump test you were going to come up with. And like, oh, no. The higher you jump, the more cash you grab or something. Oh, that's, that's not a bad addition. Go for Everyone it, yeah. gets like stage names to lift. We're coming out through smoke. You get an intro. It, it's going to be a, a raucous affair. That's if amazing. we could, if it was allowed, if, if the COVID regulations would allow it, I, I would fly you over so that you could enjoy it as well. Oh, I'd love to come. I, I actually think that's a really good idea because we were considering doing that kind of thing but obviously in the uk uh where we basically just change the whole thing and we actually provide like a large incentive through cash for the best weightlifters in you know maybe even europe to come and lift and then you can just change it where it's like it's not one platform maybe it's five platforms with five athletes on and they each have 15 minutes to record the heaviest snatch they can and as spectators you can just walk around and watch them and they can just lift as they want there's no one minute gap where nothing's happening you know, there are so many of these rules that you can change. And like the one that you said where if you come out, you've got a minute. You don't have to hit it first time, but you've got a minute to try and hit it. So like come out the start, try and snatch. And if you miss, wait 50 seconds and see if you can get another one in during that minute. Like that sort of thing would really make the sport quite exciting. Like not, yeah. not for the Olympics, but like there's no reason why that can't be a style of competition. 
Yeah, and I think it's a lot more spectator friendly that way by putting in those putting in those fun rules. You know, yeah. what, I'm gonna when we hang up here, I'm gonna send you over the rules that I've got so far, Please and you do. let me let me know what you think, and I'd you kind of bounce some back at me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, let's uh, let's get back to some actual weightlifting talk cool. here. So Tokyo, we are not far out from Tokyo at this point. Five months. Do you know when um, the weightlifting officially starts? What the date is? It's August. I want to say it's July twenty fourth. July 24th? Yeah. So before we even get to August. Okay. Yeah. And then it finishes August 5th, I think, with a two-day gap. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of Tokyo as a whole, because – actually, stepping back, Mm -hmm. Seb, when you do these live streams, do you have all the notes of the lifters in front of you? Because your memory, if you don't, is literally (laughs) the most astonishing thing I've ever seen. (laughs) It's actually – Sometimes I have a few. Normally I have none. Um, okay. But I'm good. I, I've always been good with that, like data and just remembering facts and numbers. You know, I'll still crack it up. I'll be watching a nature documentary with my girlfriend and I'll be like, oh, did you know that there'll be, you know, as many as 5,000 of these dolphin <laughs> in a megapod? And then David Atten will go, there are 5,000 dolphin. And it's just like, I just remember weird stats from when I was a kid. Um, but I've been able to do that with weightlifting quite nicely. I mean, there are a few websites that are good for data. Like there's the one that I really like, at least for the Olympics, has been iwf.net slash qualif slash menu. And that just has okay. like all the Roby points and the, the competitions that counted towards the Olympic qualifying period. Um, but no, generally, I know every athlete's best numbers. and I know when they did them. I don't know their best training lifts and variations. Um, I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but I've just watched so much weightlifting and rewatched and the same stuff so many times. That I can I can recall it. Second compliment coming at you: your oh. pronunciation of the names. Yes. I don't know if you're actually getting them right. No, but you say it so confidently. I'm like, yes. oh, that's 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 how you say it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but like Ergashev's just... first name. I'm not even going to try it. Ed Camjon. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's how it sounds though, but I recognize that most people have never heard anyone say it. So if everyone hears me say it, then I just basically get to decide how it's now pronounced. And sometimes yeah. I have given people the wrong pronunciation for names. And then I've heard that pronunciation come back to me. And I'm like, wow, I started this. And I'm, I feel really bad for the athlete because I've just truly ruined their name. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the names that you're actually looking at in Tokyo that maybe people aren't talking about as much? Or maybe they're not getting the recognition that you think they should. The ones that are flying under the radar. I think the person that's flying under the radar the most is the Belarusian 96 called, um, well, I thought it was Yoheni Sakansu, but I was told that it's actually Evgeny Sakansu. So I'm going to say Evgeny because I don't want to ruin this guy's name as well. But Evgeny Sakansu, uh, he was a 96 briefly, then he went up to 102, won the world championships, and then disappeared. And he's not yet able to qualify for Tokyo. But the qualifying period got extended by a month. So we've gone until the end of May. And apparently there's a rumor in the Belarusian camp that they're going to send him to go to this competition. If he goes, he'll easily qualify. And then all of a sudden, I don't think it's I don't think it's guaranteed that Mezzo or Tian would actually win if he was there. Because he was you know, as a teenager, he did like 180 220, which is totally enormous. Um, and no one really knows about him, and he's been away for 18 months. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and does, you know, 85, 25, or maybe 185, 230, or something like that, and really surprises everyone. Because, you know, everyone's so excited for this 96-kilo category, um, and no one's really talking about the fact that he could actually be the person that wins it or who takes a medal. So definitely excited to see him. Um who else? I mean, there's so many good categories. I think on the women's side, I'm excited to see the 64s because so much has happened there where Deng Wei is going to be the runaway winner, but yes. then all of the North Koreans are no longer going. Uh, and most likely, Romania's not going to go. Well, they really shouldn't go. The ITA has told the IWF to ban them. So that probably means that Loredana Toma won't be there. And then suddenly you've got all of these... Uh, you've got all of these European and, and uh, Canadian and, and British women who are all lifting similar types of weights fighting for those medals. So I think right now the Canadian Maud Charon, I think she's outstanding yeah. and I think she's going to take the silver. I think she's just 
managed to pull herself away. Um, and she's had an amazing story. We interviewed her recently and she went from like gymnastics to circus. Like she was doing like juggling and handstands professionally and then CrossFit and then weightlifting. And in like three years, she's like the best basically, or one of the best. Uh, so I'm really excited to that. It's just, I mean, oftentimes it's not about the person who's going to run away and win, like watching Lasher. Sometimes it's also the most competitive weight categories are the most exciting ones. Yeah. I think the, because the Canadian girl, <clears throat> and I, her name eludes me, she just kind of got like a really big spike in popularity and eyes on her at the Pan American. What did she total yeah. at Pan Ams? Uh, 107, 133, so 240. Which is, I mean, it's not huge yeah. compared to what Dang Wei is going to go and but hit. Compared but compared to everyone else, it is. Yes, yeah. so it's very, exciting. very competitive, especially for someone who's so new into the sport. So we might not even be seeing where her ceiling is. You right. know, maybe another quad goes by and she is someone that can compete with Dang Wei. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think I'd ever say that, that someone's yeah, actually going to compete with Deng Wei. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. I mean, she could, I think what we're seeing is that women who get into the sport, having been involved in gymnastics are just superior. Like that's how it seems. hundred percent. Um, and it might just be because we're seeing countries where gymnastics is really popular start to, to start, you know, they start doing more weightlifting and therefore obviously there are just more women who have done gymnastics who get good at weightlifting. Or maybe it's the fact that gymnastics actually makes you a really good weightlifter. And I, I think that's probably what it is. It's just amazing. How, I mean, Kate Nye and Jordan Dela Cruz and Matty Rogers did cheer, I think. And, you know, and then Morcheron. And just it seems like everyone that I interview has done some level of gymnastics on the female side of things. And they just all have this ridiculous awareness of their bodies. Um, they have incredible lockouts. They're so efficient. Uh, so, yeah, I, I could see Maud being, you know, 112. 140 you know by the next quad something like that yeah i interviewed uh dave tilly who's a gymnastics coach in the states and he uh-huh. echoed that exact sentiment that you just said these gymnasts uh-huh. they just understand how to move their body around a fixed object a bar so yeah, when yeah, they get the barbell in their hand it's just natural uh, yeah. for them. never thought about that in gymnastics the bar doesn't move and you move around it and in weightlifting the bar does move but it's still kind of fixed uh, yep. in some ways oh that's really interesting i never considered that but yeah i think i think that's definitely right it's just um and also i think weightlifting is easier than gymnastics like not just in terms so. of how many people compete but just how i mean just how difficult and grueling the training is like speaking to kate and i and she says oh yeah we trained eight hours a day and i can't do that in weightlifting it's like four hours a day so there's loads of time where i'm not training and i get to recover so it's just easier. And it's like, wow, that's a world champion weightlifter saying that weightlifting is easier than her gymnastics training. And I, I think that's probably true. Kate Kate is going to be another good one to watch. I thought yeah. that she was going to be in slightly better shape for Pan yeah. Ams, mm-hmm. but I'm very hopeful for where she'll be within the next four months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she just had, she's had a tough year of training with injuries yep. and that kind of thing. Um, and she's, a fair bit down from her best from 2019 even though she weighs more but now she's over with spencer arnold there's not a lot that he's going to be able to do really you know as a coach you can't you can't make someone that much better in six months really but he can at least provide the the structure of you know the fact that she can now train with three other olympians in a team with a coach who's got eyes on her every single day rather than you know in the past she just trains on her own in a garage with a remote coach who, and he's done an amazing job, obviously like a ridiculously talented coach, but having someone in person watching you with other good teammates, I think will probably transform her over the next few months. Harrison Harrison is another one that I'm, yeah. I'm very interested to watch. I, I watched him at yeah. 2019 worlds and with my jaw on the floor at what he was capable of. He's, he's yeah. kind of taken somewhat of a small step back from that, yeah. but he yeah, is yeah. kind of ramping back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Jordan Dela Cruz again. All these Ooh. athletes from the same team, and she is Jordan just Dela Cruz like, is something else. Yeah, you know, she went six to six, eighty nine, one eleven, two hundred total. That is just she. I mean, she should. I I think she'll medal at the Olympics, which will be absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, I, I, a I was a I was a huge fan of Alyssa Ritchie, just her technique yeah, yeah. and the aggression in her lifts. Yeah. And Jordan Dela Cruz came along, and people said Alyssa Ritchie, who they completely yeah, 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 forgot who she was. But yeah, Jordan yeah. is genuinely very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Now we kind of talked about who should be getting recognition. 
Who do you think is going to be some of the biggest omissions from the pool of lifters? There's a lot of talk around the Chinese team and who they're going to yeah. they're going to leave home because they can only take so many. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the deciding who from the women's side goes to Team China is almost more savage but easier because they have, say, seven weightlifters to choose from, all of whom will win. So it's like you just got to pick four of them and you can almost do that based on who they think, you know, are they coming to the end of their career? Do they deserve another Olympic gold? And then they select them. But on the men's side, they don't actually have four who will definitely win. So it's trying to work out out of the two or three that might not definitely win, who is the most likely to win. <laughs> so it's a little bit tricky. So, you know, I think there's no way they can't send Shi Ziyong. I mean, I don't know if you yeah. saw, like, he just... um the training him warming up for this last competition he missed every single lift on the way up to coming out and hitting a world record and there's this footage of it. he misses 140 a bunch of times can't snatch 150 and then he snatches 169 world record which is insane but like he's gonna go because no one can beat him i'd be very surprised if they didn't send lu Zhaozhen, even though he has fewer roby points than lead in but i think china will reject the offer for lead in and then it will get handed over to lu and then it comes down to, is it Tian Tao, is it Li Fabin, or is it Chen Li Jun? And I think Chen Li Jun did enough to prove that he's yeah. the guy. He went 6-6 six six and he smashed it. And then it's hard because, I mean, Tian Tao looked pretty average for him the other day. You know, he was way down in the clean and jerk. So it's, a, it's such a difficult job. But it's just, I mean, it's the old trope of like the hardest thing to do in Chinese weightlifting is win nationals. The easiest thing is to win the Olympics. Like if you can win nationals and get selected, then the competition outside of China is much simpler. Tian Tao is another one that has to give the Chinese Weightlifting Federation just such anxiety with his inconsistency. It's got to be it's got to be so hard. So I I really wouldn't be surprised if they went with Fabian over over Tian Tao, especially with how competitive Tian Mm -hmm. Tao's division is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Meso did a great job at discouraging China from sending... I thought he was going to try and do something huge so that Team China goes, yeah, okay, there's no point in sending Tian. But he really didn't. He he didn't lift as well as he's done in the past. So they might send him, but I don't know. And Seb, you're more plugged in with this than I am. So you can confirm or deny my suspicion here. I am very, very suspicious about Lee Dayan's performances. In that 2019 Worlds, mm-hmm. he looked like he could have smashed Lu Zhaozhen. <laughs> Absolutely ran away with it. And Lu somehow wins. He outsnatches. <laughs> what Lu are you suggesting? Easily, <laughs> easily. And then all of a sudden, he can't make a clean and jerk. Seb, I want you to declare to the world that the Chinese Weightlifting Federation is fixing these competitions. I love Lu as much as anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel that they are just fixing these competitions and telling Lee to take a dive. I don't know. I mean, Lee, in his defense, Lee Dian has the second highest total of anyone in that category so far, which is pretty good. And he did have surgery recently on some part of his back. I don't know if it was upper or lower. And I imagine that that caused him some problems in the clean and jerk. But you're, I mean, you're right, because when I look at Lee Dian, I just think physically you are like on another planet in terms of yeah. how strong you are compared to these other lifters. Like in terms of what you pull and squat, I bet you make everybody look weak. Like serious, he's so strong and so muscular. I don't know how he only weighs 81, honestly. Even in person, he's like a big, he's a big guy. It's really bizarre that he weighs so little. Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a the whole idea that, Maybe Team China desperately wants to send Lou because of what that does for, I don't know, for Team China. It just looks so good to have this guy winning over more than a decade internationally and being the best. And also it's his last competition, so before he retires, so like giving him a send-off and then they can release Lee Dai-in properly into the world. So there's a chance of that, but I don't see why they would make him... Because they can just turn down Lee Dai-in's position. Like mm-hmm. Lee Dayan can still win and then Team China can just say, no, we're not sending him. And then Lou will get the invite to Tokyo. So I don't know why they would do that. 
But, you know, China actually has, on the men's side, has a real problem with consistency at the moment. Because it's not just Tian Tao, it's, it's Li Dai-in, it's, it's Lu Zhaozhen as well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Xi Yong still gives me kind of heart attacks in the clean and jerk. Like, I'm never convinced he's going to jerk it. <laughs> so, I, yeah, they're, they're all kind of worrying, honestly. He is that Xi Jiang is such a performer. How he collapses yeah. to the platform after every lift, <laughs> the trolling of the crowd, the chalking the bar. I don't think I've ever seen an international level lifter chalk the bar before. Apparently, he was ill, and and so he didn't, and maybe had some, you know, he was contagious or something, ah. and so he didn't want to put his hands okay. into the chalk bowl and get other people ill. I mean, that that could be wrong. But I heard that, and that kind of makes a bit of sense because I don't know why he would walk up to the bar with his own bar of chalk and then just rub it all over and then chuck it off and then lift it. I've never seen that. That was kind of weird. With that inconsistency, I think that there's a big chance that some some of the bigger names in weightlifting may actually flop in Tokyo. Yeah. Some mm -hmm. names that I'm very concerned about, mm -hmm. Mezzo. I, I love Mezzo as a lifter, but yeah. the snatch, I was yeah, yelling I at my TV the same way that you were during yeah, yeah. that. Please yeah. don't do this. Please, yeah, Mezzo. Why are you doing this? Why do you open then, so heavy? He doesn't need and to. And then Simon Martirosian. Oh, my God. I, I heard some stories about him, about how he was off, like, fighting in a war. So yeah, he yeah. couldn't train. But he's another one. He's a lifter that I love. That video of him going, uh, what did he do? 20, 70, yeah. 120, 170, 210 two or whatever it was. Or yeah. yeah, I love it. He totaled, that. like, 380 and five lifts or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was he's another one that his recent performance really gave me the heebie-jeebies. Is there anyone yeah. else that kind of you're looking at as like, ooh, I don't know what might happen in Tokyo? Well, I'm obviously concerned about Lasher, but um, no, <laughs> I mean he'll be That's fine. I, um, is there anyone else that I'm concerned about? It tends to be that the best lifters are the most consistent, and that's why they end up toting the most because they make the most lifts. Uh, but yeah, with, with someone like Meso, I do think, why don't you just open lighter? Um, and just take big jumps because it really doesn't matter what you hit on your first attempt. It's what you hit on your final made lift. Yep. So like, why don't you just go 70, 76, 81 and just build a little bit of momentum through it. But then at the same time, he's a performer and he absolutely loves pressure. He loves this idea of I've missed my first two clean and jerks and I've got to hit the world record on my third and everybody's watching. And like, that's when he's going to make it. So he kind of does well by having missed his first two. But it's not um, it's not a feeling that I like to have watching him when I'm just panicked and thinking he's going to miss. Uh, but no, I, th I think I think most people will do as we expect. But I probably predict that one of the Chinese weightlifters will on the men's side will bomb out and, and won't win. I reckon that will happen to someone. You yeah, know, it just seems likely. Yeah. And why is it going to be Tian Tao? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love those questions. Was, yeah, it's like. Who are you most looking forward to seeing at the Olympics and why is it Lasher? And that's like those <laughs> sorts of questions. Yeah, no, Tian Tao, yeah, he, he could definitely be. Yeah, he'll either bomb out or he'll miss his first two lifts and then jump up to a world record and make it. Yep. Like, he's just, he's so capable, but. 170, miss, 180, miss, jump to 187 on his third and hit that and, you know, a world record and we're off to the races for yeah, clean exactly. and jerk. Something yeah. like that. But yeah, yes. I think the pinnacle of consistency is the reason why I reached out to you for this podcast is to talk all things Lasha. I think mm -hmm. even since I sent the original message to you on Instagram, we've seen feats that we that we, <laughs> that we didn't even expect from him yeah. with the with the most recent total and Something, again, that I want to give you praise on is you drew a fantastic analogy between Roger Bannister and Lasha, where Lasha hits a world record, a weight that's never been lifted before in human history, mm -hmm. and it's the easiest lift you've ever seen. Yeah. People from the outside looking in, they say, oh, why is he going so light? And you yeah, just yeah. shake them and be like, no one's ever lifted that before. Shut up. Yeah. Just appreciate it. Versus yeah. like other people who have broken all-time world records, like Roger Bannister, who collapsed across the finish line. Yeah. So could you expand upon that upon that thought a little bit more about what it's like in your head to watch someone like Lasha dominate with such apparent ease? Mm. Yeah, I, I always say whenever I talk about Lasha and some of his biggest lifts, I always want to contextualize it in what's happened throughout history because I I hate the idea that people just get into weightlifting and they see him doing this and they don't understand how long we've been waiting and the people before me have been waiting and discussing is 225 possible? 
you know, and there are people, are, and you know, for, for so many decades, it was like, there's no way anyone's going to snatch 225. Can someone do it? Can they not? And then people suddenly get into the sport and they just see it and they think, oh, he'll do 230. And I'm like, no, no, hold up. Just let's just appreciate the fact that he didn't even snatch 224 and he just went straight to 25. Let's just like appreciate that only three people have ever snatched 216 and now he's nine kilos into no man's land on his own, just rewriting history. And so I think it's it's important that people understand the giants that sort of paved the way and then how far ahead Lash has been able to pull away from that. Um, but he, yeah, in terms of how good he is, I mean, he, I've said this before a few times as well, but it's almost like when, when Xi Ziyong or Lu Zhaozhen put a world record attempt on the bar, it's like, oh, we get to now see, are they capable of doing this lift? If everything goes perfectly, can they do it? Whereas with Lasher, we just have this kind of feeling that he's so, he's able to do more than we've ever seen from him. And so when he selects a new world record, there's no doubt. It's almost just like, oh my God, he's finally showing us the 225 that we already knew that he could do that he's never showed us before. And so like when we see 226, you know, on the bar one day, it's going to be the excitement of, oh my God, we're about to see a 226 snatch rather than, oh, I wonder if he can make this. And there's something about that um, confidence that you have in him and everything looking the same and everything looking so apparently easy and perfect that just... Uh, you've just never seen anything like it, I don't think, in weightlifting. Um, obviously, by Sinclair, he's not number one, but he's also in a different era, and he is doing things that no one else has ever done. And I think that I think that probably by the end, he'll be called the greatest of all time, even though he probably won't have the best Sinclair ever. I mean, he might do. It depends if he goes over 500 in the total. But um, even if he doesn't, I still think he'll probably be the best ever. He's just, you know, he's doing things that no one else has done with apparent ease. And you don't really ever see that in sport. No. Um, and that whole Roger Bannister thing, probably it's another one of those analogies where it doesn't hold up much under scrutiny because, yes, Roger Bannister collapsed over the line, but also he just ran a mile. So, like, obviously he did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but, and if you see Lasher, you know, in training, you probably see just how brutal and difficult it is all of the time. And so it's much more difficult than it looks on the platform. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he is so, he's such an outlier. And you don't really get outliers like that. Like he, he's, you know, Usain Bolt was an outlier hitting 9.69 in Beijing and then hitting 9.58 shortly after. That was so far ahead because every hundred, every 0.1 uh, of a second is, is a meter. And so when you're 0.2 ahead of everyone and you see someone finishing two meters ahead of everyone in 100 meters, it just looks ridiculous. And when you rank all of the current weightlifters by Sinclair and then you put Lasher in, you have that same gap that you'd see with Usain Bolt or you'd see with like Mo Farah or whoever it might be. So, yeah, he, he he's on a totally different level, it seems. I think that Lasha needs what he needs a what 501 total to record the highest Sinclair of all time. I think so. Yeah, it it kind of depends when you because the Sinclair formula changes every four years based on the super heavyweights, basically. So we'd have to put both of their totals, him and Naeem, into the same like quad. Um, but yeah, it's something like that. It's it's a low 500. Okay. So yeah. do, do you? I mean, what are your predictions for Lasha in Tokyo? Does he does he keep chipping? Is he gonna just gonna keep chipping at that record? Maybe he goes 495, 496. Does he keep us on our seats for another another couple years, another quad yeah, yeah. to see that 500, 501? I would. Um... I would bet money on him not totaling 500 in Tokyo. Oh. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it just seems out of place for him. I mean, we saw him jump from 478 to 484 in competition, which is an enormous six kilo you know, increase on an all-time world record. But he's then only gone up by another kilo internationally. And so we saw him do 495 the other day, but that was training. So... He might do something spectacular like snatch. I, he'll probably go for 267 to get the all-time clean and jerk just because that's still the one that he doesn't have in actual competition just because he, you know, he's done it in training but not internationally. Um, but I think at most we'll see him total 490 and then he'll save the other 10 kilos for the next quad or something like that. But, you know, he could, I mean, he could keep going until he could be in 2028 is it LA? I think he's how old? He's how old now? Twenty four. 
No, he's 27. 27? I think, uh, I think uh, I'll pull it up. I actually, well, that's the weird thing. It's like, finding out that Lasher is like slightly younger than you is so bizarre because he just looks so yeah he i mean he when you see him he looks like he's like 400 years old in terms of like just the wisdom and strength that he possesses uh he is 27 yeah okay 1993 so he's got another two quads in him yeah because you know the next one's only three years from now because we got delayed on this one so paris 2024 he's going to be 30 and then 34, you know, super heavyweights, they last a little bit longer. Um, or at least they keep getting better until later, which is terrifying with him. So, yeah, I think he'll be the first four Olympic gold medal weightlifter ever. And for the maybe for people who don't know, what is what is Lasha's incentive to continue chipping at his world record? Why doesn't he? Because... Mm-hmm. In other sports, if you have the chance to be the greatest of all time and you have it right here, you take it. Yeah. Whereas he's like, you know what? We'll just keep chipping away and getting closer and closer. Yeah. I wonder. Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, obviously, in terms of incentive, there's got to be a monetary incentive from the government, which Huge. is just. Yeah, it's world records every time you. you um, it's, sorry, it's money every time you hit a world record. And so, you know, that was the reason supposedly why we never saw Alexiev clean and jerk. He said that he would be able to do 300 kilos one day, which I think is definitely <laughs> true. But, you know, he would go up a kilo and he just ran out of time. Like he just only made it to 255 or something like that. Um, so it, there's probably something similar like with that. I mean, I know that the Chinese do it. Uh, Ilya, you know, got given like a million US dollars for winning the Olympics. Uh, yep. And he would get money every time he got a world record. So there's probably that. And then also the fact that it's more predictable. Like Usain Bolt, can't run nine six eight and then nine six seven and then nine six six but if he could he probably would yes. but like you just run as fast as you can and you're never going to see a marathon runner running and then thinking i'm just going to slow down because i'm i'm 20 seconds above world record pace um so i'm gonna slow down a little bit and break it another time because it sucks so much it's so painful and so many things have to come together for you to win a hundred meter race Whereas in weightlifting, it's a little bit more predictable in terms of your performance. So you can you can chip away like that. Uh, but I think most likely it's all it's all monetary incentive as to why he's doing it. Yeah, yeah I would. That's, have that's what I've always heard. It's the yeah. money for the world record. So I mean, you don't get more money if it's a two kilo or a three kilo yeah. or a five kilo world record. Yeah, and and maybe it's also the legacy. Like there's something about the fact that every time he competes, it's a world record, and Every time he competes, it's six for six. He just never misses. Like he's missed the odd third attempt snatch, but not for a few years. So he basically never misses. He always sets world records, and that builds this really exciting narrative of him just, you know, chipping away, getting better and better um, over the decade. And I'm sure you get this question just an annoyingly large amount of times. What do you think the true limit? for Lasha is because I think that 270 jerk and I think that his coach even confirmed this that the jerk is where things get a little yeah. bit wonky for him I, I think there's maybe two or three more kilos in that jerk maybe a 273 mm-hmm. would be maximum but what do you see for the snatch do you mean like right now or in his career like in training let's do both right now end of his career versus end of his career right now i think he could have snapped he could have snatched 228 probably yeah just you know when he did that 225 it's funny because some people see it and they go oh he can snatch 240 it's like no No. you're just new to the sport and you don't understand it you know sometimes you have to make like sometimes the heaviest lifts of all time look easy because they're too heavy to have made any mistakes on so they have to look perfect um so maybe 228 that clean and jerk he could have done 272 on that day. Surely he could have hit 600 pounds. Like two kilos is, it's not even 1%. It's so light. It's just so little uh, added onto that bar. So he probably could have done two. He, he could have probably totaled 500 that day, 228, 272, I would have thought. Um, but that was the first time I've seen him lift and I've seen his teammates actually watch and care. So, like, you know, when he did the 223 and the 265 a few weeks ago, 
we knew that that wasn't his most because people watched and they just turned away and walked off. And so it's like, okay, you've seen this before, haven't you? Like, yeah. you know, this isn't new. Um, so yeah, right now I'd say 228, 272, which is isn't just that, crazy. Isn't that something else when oh, his training partners are just like, ah, just another day for Lasha. Don't even bother watching. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I've brought up the 100 meters a lot. I, I like sports that are like time or numbers more yep. so than like, yeah, more so than like field sports. Um, but like, it's like someone in the 100. I remember someone saying to me, oh, uh, Usain Bolt, apparently he'll run sub nine. It's like, well, he won't. And, you know, you're a dumbass. But um, <laughs> but like he might, if someone had said, oh, he could run sub nine five. At the start, you'd have been like, no, there is no way. And obviously he won't and he never will. Probably no one ever will. But when you see someone go from like 6'9 to 5'8, you're just like, oh my God, he could actually go 9'49 or something like that. Um, and that's what, yeah, that's what Lasher seems to be doing. Wait, you just can't believe. Before Lasher, no one would ever have believed that we might genuinely think that somebody could snatch 230. Like, that is so preposterous. Yeah. yeah, it's just so ridiculous. It it it's just dumb. It's like it's just dumb. Yeah, but you know, people no in America, saying, people in America love basketball, and I give them the analogy of like Wilt Chamberlain recorded that hundred point game, yeah, yeah. and I give them the analogy of what if Wilt had gone out and scored hundred and one, and then hundred and two, and then hundred and three. I was like, this is what Lasha is doing. He's yeah, just yeah, yeah. continuing to do things that we've never seen before, and it's it's truly astonishing. Do you, do you think that puts him? When it's all said and done, mm -hmm. will the Lasha Talahadze legacy be the greatest Olympic sport legacy of all time if the trajectory continues as it is right now? Uh, I'd love to say yes, but no. <laughs> Just because it's <laughs> weightlifting, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's, it's not a big enough sport and there aren't enough people who've competed in it. You know, like, when you, when you look at... Again, let's just pick Usain Bolt. When you, pick, when you watch Usain Bolt, part of you believes if everybody in the world had trained to sprint, he would still be number one because everybody runs, the fast kids get put into sports, the really fast kids get pulled out into athletics. And if you run sub 11 as a teenager, you get a Nike contract and then you're going to go and, you know, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. the best sprinter in the world is Usain Bolt. But I can't say with confidence that if everybody had started weightlifting when they're a kid, everyone, that Lasher would be number one. Just because probably he wouldn't, because most people never get to try it. And if they are talented, there's no way they get put into weightlifting. They get put into the NFL or something like that. I mean, like just watch this video the other day of a guy hang cleaning, hang power cleaning like two ten, as an NFL guy, or he was a, yeah. in college. It's like. Do you, like, do, does that person have any idea how impressive that is? You know, so I'm not saying that that guy would beat Lasher, probably not, but I'm not convinced that Lasher is the best weightlifter that there could be. But he's the best we've ever seen. And the fact that things are getting broken by this much, the world records are getting broken by this much, shows that shows that it's an underpopulated sport. Because if there was a way higher participation rate, you wouldn't see world records like you do now because we would already have hit the limit and we'd just be hanging around there. But it shows that we're not really certain of what people can actually do because we've just seen someone who should have ended up in the NFL end up in weightlifting. You know, that's yeah. kind of how it is. Mm -hmm. And there are other, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, blanking his name now, a uh, British rower who won five Olympics in a row. Uh, in rowing and that and having been a rower and knowing how painful that is so steve redgrave that's his name he won in uh 88 92 96 2000 2004 and it's like to sustain that level of agony for essentially 16 years you know from 88 to 2004 it's just like that that to me is almost unbeatable by anyone um and obviously people love phelps i you know i don't know enough about swimming I think it's almost like kind of unfair. It's like if you gave Usain Bolt medals for winning the 60, 80, yeah. 100, and 110, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, he's the best swimmer, but like, he, why does he get eight medals each time he swims <laughs> sort of thing? Um, but yeah, he'll be the best weightlifting story of, of all time. That's for sure. Yeah.
Yeah, I think, I think it's hard. It's hard to quantify that. Like, what truly makes the best Olympic? Is it the most dominant athlete of all time? Is it the most decorated athlete of all time? Yeah, Is it yeah. who broke the most world records? By what mm. margin? So, yeah. yeah, it's hard to quantify. But something, because I know you're friends with him, and I need you to bring it up to him, Mr. Talander, he has a particular um, problem with individuals who step out when they catch a snatch. Yeah. And Lasha, on all heavy snatches, yeah, he yeah, steps so out. So yeah. I need you to tell Zach <laughs> that he needs to bring that up with Lasha and let him know that his lifts are far less impressive because of that step out. Yeah, I think Zach's, um, he's so focused on his own technique, which is great. You know, you've got to be. Um, and for him, that's a marker of my snatch wasn't quite good enough because clearly I had forward momentum in the catch. Yep. And if I'd have kept there in the bottom of the squat, that bar would have eventually fallen forward. So if I have to stand up and step out, it shows that it was moving forward. And, but you know what I mean? Like with Lash, it's like, <laughs> it's just too good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, I mean, if Lash presses out, if he does anything, it, in many ways, it only makes it more impressive the fact that he can take a step forward with 220 plus kilos overhead. <laughs> taking taking so 496 pounds for a walk. Yeah, yeah, like that's <laughs> ridiculous. Like if if one day, God forbid, he does a duck step or something and, uh, you know, you know, step or, you know, walks forward in the squat or something, like that would be just unreal. But he can do anything. There was a Venezuelan lifter at Pan Am's who duck stepped backwards. I don't know yeah, if you've seen yeah. that clip with Hated something like, near. yeah, something like 200 oh. kilos. That guy gives me a heart attack every time he lifts. He's insane because he um, he's an 89 and now he's a 96 and he um, he front squats like 290. He yep, has the I strongest front squat in the category. So like once he's under things, it's easy. Yep. But his pull is so difficult for him. But he's phenomenally strong. I mean, it's like you look similar to me, like a relatively tall, longer limbed person. So like, yeah. So, well, it's it's fortunate, at least in the start of the pull, it's not hard to get the bar moving. But for him to pull, he is like his hips and knees are in such a great degree of flexion. It's like us being doing like a five inch deficit pull. Like it's so yeah. difficult to get the bar going. But then once it's going, he's he's totally away with it. Uh, but yeah, that step was ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Let's send this thing off into the sunset. Seb, is there anything that you want to plug pitch? What do you got for the rest of the world for 2021? What's the big plan? I know coaches only is taking yes. off. You've got phenomenal names behind you there new books videos you're excited to release can we will we see you in tokyo no <laughs> no you won't see me in tokyo but what you will hopefully see is me with various uh guests in person like we'll be all together filming high quality commentary style videos for every session that, that's what we want to do awesome um yeah so the, the coach is only thing i mean that was an idea i had where you know, I've done so many podcasts now with all of the biggest names, but there's still a barrier to podcasting, which is that there's not a lot of, I mean, you you prepared for this and you sent me a few things and, you know, we had a rough idea of what we we're going to talk about, but it's not like I went away and spent two months creating this incredible presentation on why Lasher will be the best ever. And if yeah. I had, that would have been really interesting, but I haven't. And that's not what happens in podcasts. Podcasts are just conversation. And so I just felt like the next stage of, uh, gaining, you know, gaining real information from the elite coaches in the world was to have them spend the time to do that. And to do that, you have to pay them. And so, you know, it's not as easy as just doing a podcast. So I figured I'd come up with this coaches only thing. So it's, yeah, if, if you're a coach, you know, you turn up, it's a two day online, um, what would you call it? Conference, essentially, uh, eight presentations from eight of the most incredible coaches and even athletes in the world highly targeted, um, very, very useful. Uh, so that, yeah, that's in a month. I don't know when this is going out. That's in June 5th, 6th anyway. Uh, and then the, the stuff that I'm most excited about is we're just, we're on the way to bring out loads of new products. Um, you know, we've done bars and plates. I love our barbells. I genuinely think that they're the best barbells on the market for the price. The plates are very difficult to do. They're really good, but trying to, bring out plates is like it's like the hardest thing i've ever done to make that work and make it you know cost effective and shipping and it's just like this is not something that i want to do unless i can make it easier so i'm trying to like put a just 
calm down with the plates and just work out things that we can do. So like belts, sleeves, wraps, that kind of stuff. We're working with such a great manufacturer. Um, we're doing, going through so many different iterations to get these things looking and functioning as well as they can. So that's the stuff that I'm most excited about is like the soft equipment side of, of products. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then more media. I'm hopefully going to go to Georgia in a few weeks if I'm able to, to go and film Lasher pre-Olympics. Um, if that works out, I, well, you know, who knows, but I'm in contact with like the vice president of the country, of not the country, of the federation. Um, <laughs> and he's trying to get me in. If I knew the vice president of the country, I'd definitely, that would be You'd great. You'd be in. Yeah, yeah, I would be in. Um, but hopefully that'll work out. And then that would be great to get some interviews and uh, and some footage of him. Yeah, pre-Olympics. Awesome. I think everyone's looking forward to, to all of that. I'm going to be the first one in on that <laughs> that footage from Georgia. So, guys, we'll drop all of the links to that. Coaches Only, the Weightlifting House Patreon, the YouTube channel, the Instagram, all of that in the description below for your viewing pleasure. Thanks for coming out, guys. Thanks for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. Do that usual YouTube stuff. If you're on Spotify, you don't have to do any of that. You can just, you know, listen at your own leisure, enjoy it, and then go along with your day. Seb, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a phenomenal conversation. Anything you want to leave the people with? Oh, God. I'm on the... This is a lot of pressure. Um, so much pressure. Enjoy weightlifting. Train hard. And keep listening to podcasts. No, um, like <laughs> and subscribe because it, it makes a difference and it helps the algorithm. And algorithm is is like the unspoken about driver for all content creators. So do those things and it will help out your favorite creators immensely. Satisfy our algorithmic overlord. We'll see you on the next <laughs> one, guys. Have a good one. See ya.